dating you in 2007. Your hair is a different color. That's, that's what threw me off was the color of your hair. What color was it in 2007? Irish black. black and really long. Thank you very much, Shelley. Well, thank you so much. It's great to be here. My name is Shel Coppersmith, and I'm with the Women's Ministry. And I want to say a big thank you to every woman that came this weekend and every woman that prayed for us, our sponsors. It, it was a wonderful time to break away from everything and get together and connect with God, connect with one another. I loved what happened. It was like each person had a word, a prayer, a song. We missed you, Ellery, but next time. <laughs> next time. We're all going to meet at Hilton next time, right? <laughs> That's what we're going to do. So I, it's just my honor to introduce Margaret um, this morning, and Mark's also going to say a few things about Margaret. Uh, I, um, we met them in 1996. Uh, Mark and I have shared up in Canada in the church that uh, he was pastoring. We went through a number of challenges, and uh, pretty extreme challenges. And uh, there were many times where Mark was, like, begging the elders to let him quit, <laughs> begging God, bargaining with God, get me out of the ministry. And I can honestly say that the friendship of Richard and Margaret Graham, who were fellow pastors in Canada, is the reason we're still here. Wow. That's I can awesome. absolutely say that. They embraced us when we felt like such motherless children, just such... Just such painful times. And the, um, I, Margaret might share a bit of her past. Uh, her and her husband are from Ireland. Uh, she was Irish Catholic, and he was Irish Protestant, and they snuck out and meet each other in the tunnels. And Whoa. it was a pretty, pretty, ex- <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's more information than I guess I was, I, I was allowed to release. Sorry about that. Anyway, um, Margaret is a phenomenal worship leader and songwriter. Um, she has such a passion for God that she gets groups of anybody that sings, anybody that has anything on them for worship leading, she will train them and release them. She takes people all over the world and trains and releases. And uh, she's, she's wrote a couple um, worship albums. Uh, they're out there for sale for $10. Uh, one, she used his money to raise for, to send people on a missions trip that couldn't go. It was just a phenomenal. Anyway, I listen to these songs over and over and over. She's got the guts that can get you up and dancing, and she's got the beautiful melody that, that can just make you weep. Uh, her last album, and you are recording now, aren't you? She set up a band called Grace Revolution with young guys, and, you know, she's just a firecracker. And uh, so you get a free download with this one and a wristband. But, you know, that's product. But really, when you hear her speak, and uh, you will know, you will want to carry some of what she, what God has put in her on with you. So I'm going to ask Mark to come up for a minute. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned that it was my absolute delight to see Mark and Margaret back together on that worship stage. Um, I've never seen anyone put Mark in his place, like good old Maggie. The word firecracker does not begin to describe Margaret. Margaret is a better man than I am. Pains me to say it. 
She knows how to run a band, too, let me tell you. You do what you're told when you're playing for Margaret, and it always comes out great. We've done so many things together all over the place, and, and uh, one of the losses moving here was, damn, you guys really did take us in. It's a true friend, you know. Someone stands... Someone that stands with you when nobody else does. That's, that's what a true friend is. Anyway, um, the word that describes rather than firecracker is authentic. She is always who she is, even when it's painful <laughs> to those around her. <laughs> she's, she's absolutely authentic and real all the time, everywhere. And uh, she's lived her message. She has, they have paid a high price for the kingdom of God. They really have. So when she tells about uh, overcoming difficulties and uh, hanging in, it's real. It's, it's absolutely authentic. So, Margaret, why don't you come up? Uh, she, she said she's not sure how today's going to go. She wants me sitting in the first row with questions to ask her if anything comes to mind. So this could end up an interview show. So who really knows how it will go? Margaret showed up to do the women's retreat and ended up with the flu. She was sick all night and uh, hardly slept with, with the worst of the flu, you can imagine. And yet she's doing it today and singing with us, and she's an absolute trooper. So welcome, Margaret Graham. Okay. I'm going to pray for you. Okay. Lord, I pray that uh, divine energy, Lord Jesus. Put your hands out to Margaret, would you? pray a divine energy. We pray your Jesus. healing power on her right now, Lord, that the, yes, Lord. That the after effects of the flu will be gone. Lord, we pray your divine energy and your words flowing through her so that uh, not just we get fed, but she enjoys the feeding. Drive it out. Amen. Amen. Mark, um, one of the stories I remember that was so funny was Mark and the citywide band in Calgary were leading worship. And uh, we had this guy, do you remember that big guy, that big farmer? I can't remember Fred. his name. Fred. Yeah. Fred the Three, big 360-pound pig farmer. And he loved to flag. Yeah. And he was, and he had this gigantic flag. It was like massive, you know, like, you know, one you see on a building practically, you know. And, he, <laughs> and he's got this pole and he's whipping the flag. And like, we could feel the, the breeze on yeah. the stage and he was just getting so excited. And there was a silk plant that was on the stage. <laughs> Do you remember? And he sheared the top right off that thing. It went <laughs> across the stage. And Mark and I were like, <laughs> and he didn't skip a beat. You kept going. I couldn't believe it. You oh, we had, some, we had some funny things, funny stories, eh? Funny yeah, times. Oh, you guys, it was such a fantastic uh, retreat with your ladies. And I, you know, you come from uh, another country and, and it's all new and you know some people. I knew Mary and I knew Shelly, but you girls just, I just want to take you all home with me. I just felt so at home. And um, I don't know if, if in Emmy's cabin anybody got any sleep. Uh, no, she's shaking her head. Because um, I saw some wonderful pictures where she would take somebody's head and put it on someone else. Have you seen that? Like, that's hysterical. I've never seen that. That's so cool. i got to do that. And uh, But uh, we had such a good time, and it's wonderful. Thank you, John and Hope, so much for asking me to come and share this morning. And I just I love just being with you guys. And our church family at home uh, sends brothers and sisters in, Cal- in Calgary. Alberta send their love your way, and um, it's great to be here. My husband and I have been pastoring 25 years, 
And some of it really joyful, some of it not so joyful. <laughs> but that's just life. And um, I'm going to share with you this morning really what is my life message, and that is the whole thing to do with journey, the journey of the soul. And, um, and what it, we, as Christians, how we can do to strengthen our inner life. But I want to say that we talked at the women's retreat about how important your life story is, John, and how that life story is what impacts the, the people around us. And if we don't get in touch with our life story and know what it is God has given us uh, to share, so often then we're too afraid or we're kind of in a sort of an unauthentic space at times, sometimes just going along in the motions of life and not really getting in touch with who we are. And, and we are a lifeline. The, the body of Christ is a lifeline to this world. Do you, do you know that this morning? And I hear you guys have been in Acts, right? You've been in Acts. And one of my uh, most favorite scriptures in Acts is Acts verse 1, when uh, Jesus uh, speaks to the disciples and he says this, timing, somebody needs to hear this today, timing is the Father's business. What you'll get is the Holy Spirit bonus. What you'll get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all over Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The key word for me in that, in that scripture is the word witness. And to me, it's your story. It's your testimony. And that's what God is enriching in us and getting us to be in touch with in our lives every day. He wants us to get to that place of being comfortable with what our story is and our testimony is. And Paul's mission, Paul was that great example of that. We're in a series right now in, in Harvest called uh, The Heroes of the Faith. And Paul is one of my heroes. I just think he's just great. And he wasn't a perfect man, and you saw the things that happened in his life, and you know when you read the Bible, his encounter with God. But encounters with God is what changes us, and we need more of those encounters. And that's why in Acts, when he says, and he talks about sending the Holy Spirit, we desperately need the Holy Spirit. And I would just encourage you every day to just ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. Paul was on a mission to tell the greatest story ever told. And he had that anointing from Jesus to do that because of the Holy Spirit in him. And Paul was just like us. He was just creating his own story as he went along. And we'll do that until the day we meet Jesus. On the day we, we come face to face with Jesus, we'll, he'll, he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Jesus appoints us as his spiritual envoys in the earth today. And no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, you have a story to tell. And you need to know that in your heart. Paul was a radical guy. He was super radical. Um, I was fascinated to find out some things about Paul. He was a brilliant individual. He was a scholar. And they say he was a professor of law. But one of the things that I love about Paul was his authenticity. And, you know, the world is looking for just regular characters. You know, nobody, nobody's perfect. You know, they're not looking for superstar Christians. They're just looking for regular fishermen and like the disciples, just doing, going along, doing life together. That's what this body represents. I can tell that just by your ladies. What a beautiful unity that you have. What a fantastic job this church is doing of creating that place of unity. And it's getting deeper. And it was a powerful word that Melissa brought. I think it was Melissa A. Shelley at the conference about you guys being like connected, like, like streams, wasn't it, together. And the powerful anointing that God was going to bring. So what was it that made Paul so in a place of authenticity and really comfortable with who he was? I, will, I believe it's this. His inner life 
and his outer life were in sync. I'll say that again. His, in, his, his inner life and his outer life were in sync. And let me read this to you. If you've got your Bibles today, you could open up, or your iPhones. <laughs> 1 Thessalonians 5.23. <laughs> the droids are fine. May the force be with you, John. <laughs> so 1 Thessalonians 5.23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Listen to this. May your whole spirit, soul, and body, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. How on earth do we keep our soul blameless? I know I'm a lost cause without the Holy Ghost helping me. That's not going to work for me. On my own strength, I cannot do that. But Paul is encouraging the church in Thessalonica to take care of their body, soul, and spirit. Now, we all know what part of our, us is our body. It's that part that craves chocolate. This is for me, anyway. And the soul is the part of us. It is essentially us. That's our soul, who we are, our personality, our energy, our vitality, our presence. The soul is so well used. Some people have an issue with it. But there is so well used today. Aretha Franklin is referred to as the queen of soul. Pop icon Jewel wrote a song while in the slums in Mexico called Who Will Save Your Soul? We speak of soul food. We talk of one being the heart and soul of a party or a team. And even Homer Simpson apparently sells his soul for a donut in one episode. And then he impulsively eats most of it. And he puts the rest in the fridge with a sign on it that says, Soul do not, do not eat. One woman tried to sell her soul on eBay for $2,000. No takers. Uh, eBay doesn't have a soul-selling policy. But Paul was in touch with his relationship between the outer and the, and the inner life. A few months back, I came across a fantastic book, you guys. And does anybody know John Orthberg, the writer of John Orthberg? Wonderful writer. And he wrote a book called, If You Want to on, Walk on Water, Get Out of the Boat. But he also wrote a book called Soul Keeping. It's his newest book, I believe. And it's absolutely fantastic. That book just changed my life. It put a lot of perspective on what, what my journey to enrich my soul had, had become. But as I was reading it, in the foreword, Dr. Larry Crabb writes the foreword. And this is what he says, Mark. He says he was in a situation in a, in a board meeting with his other doctors in the hospital. And he runs a, an actual ward at a hospital in the United States, and they had a little staff meeting. And the last person to speak at the staff meeting was Dr. Graham. And Dr. Graham had one of the most difficult cases, and it was a woman named Maddie. Everyone was having difficulty with her. When Larry Crabb asked Dr. Graham what the main issue seemed to be, Dr. Graham made this statement. Maddie has no interest in having an interior life. Dr. Crabb goes on to say how that statement impacted him. He realized that Maddie had no interest in looking at her interior world, her attitudes, her strengths, her patterns of thinking, her behavior, her not trusting, her not risking, her spiritual life, and most of all, the avoidance of embracing her real suffering and the courage to resolve it. Maddie represents the human condition. She is like so many who choose to ignore their inner life. She was on autopilot, going through the motions. And, you know, I can look back, you guys, throughout my life story, and I can see seasons like that. And in retrospect, my, 
My soul was crying out for peace. And we can get so busy. I was, I was desperate to be loved. and to, I wanted to be secure. I wanted joy. But I was doing everything backwards because I was looking for the, the exterior to satisfy the interior. And my life was not in sync. And even as a young Christian, I put way more influence, inf, uh, emphasis on my outer life. And all that really mattered was what people thought of me what people could see. And this problem, to be honest with you, I came by it quite honestly. Um, I came from uh, a very driven home. Um, my dad actually was a workaholic. He was a managing director of a German engineering firm. And we lived in Northern Ireland. And he was a very driven man, a uh, very, very smart math teacher in the old days, and then became an engineer. And he just drove us girls, like Captain Von Trapp, you know. <laughs> and like, I love my dad, you know. He, was, he, was, he had so many great things about him, but he was very driven, and so the expectation was very high. He died at 58 years of age. He basically worked himself into an early grave, a workaholic. He definitely didn't know how to take care of his soul. When I became a Christian, uh, my spiritual mentors had the same drive. A strong focus on doing versus being. Just constantly, just like, to me, if I, I was a good Christian, if I was just filling every space I could fill, and I just got on that treadmill where everything looked okay on the outside, but inside was not so hot, and my inner life was not in sync with my outer life. And those values shaped our team, to be honest, and sooner or later, someone would leave the church or take a few with them, and this would happen over and over again and told the girls that it was almost like we were on repeat, you know. And the same thing kept happening over and over again. But the devil knew. He knew what worked and he knew what would get me. Just on this hamster wheel, Mark, just going round and round, the same old thing and the feeling of abandonment and the feeling of discouragement as people would leave because I felt like I failed. I felt like if I just, you know, had enough people over for dinner, <laughs> if I'm, although that's never a good thing because I can't cook very well. <laughs> I would chase them out of the church in about five minutes. Have <laughs> someone else cook for crying out loud. But um, so I basically just tried to do everything. And I'd even like look at people in church and I'd think, oh, so not very happy today. I probably need to have her over for coffee. <laughs> you should have seen my appointment book. It was absolutely ridiculous. And I told the girls one day Jesus spoke to me and he said, uh, hey, all those uh, appointment books, all that stuff you did. And it was like ridiculous. It was like written in all week, you know, every space filled. It was really good stuff, but I never asked you to do half of it. Oh, my goodness gracious. I mean, it's really good stuff. I'm a good girl, but you know what? I, I never asked you to kill yourself. The problem was seemed obvious. I just needed to work harder. That's what was going on in my hand. And then people would be happy, and they'd stick around, you know? And it's hard building church. You know, like Richard and I now, 25 years, and, and our church is about the same size as you guys. I, it's, it's hard work. And it's, hard, it's in the trenches, building and, and sharing vision and pushing on. And you put weight, I, I used to put weight on people and it would just disappear. It was like sand falling through our hands. But I had to get in touch with that inner part of me that would be content with whatever was in the outside. And I, I wasn't there yet. I pushed myself and pushed myself, and this is what my doctor said at one of my visits. Maggie, if you keep going the way you're going, you'll be in an early grave by 60. 
but I didn't listen. (laughs) I pushed my outer life even harder while my inner life was being neglected. Before before long, I was running on pure adrenaline and chocolate. We went to Northern Ireland, uh, and it was a very, very stressful situation with Richard's parents. And his mom was dying of cancer, and we went over there to... And we left the church for a time, and we went over to serve his parents and help them. And I, my mother-in-law and I, we had a very difficult relationship. And it was very, very hard to love her. (laughs) Annie will attest to that. Um, Annie came with me on one of our trips, and I knew knew in in my heart she wanted, oh, she couldn't be that bad. And you quickly found out how tough it was, eh, Annie? It was something else, man. Annie asked the wrong question. It was a political question. I told her, don't talk about the war. You know, and so she... <laughs> and, and Annie went, oh, that doesn't seem that bad in Northern Ireland. And <laughs> I know, eh? Annie. And she went from zero to 60. And actually, was, Annie said, she manifested. I know. I'm so glad that somebody wasn't me just being crazy, right? But anyway, I loved my mother-in-law. God helped me love her right to the day she died. And, but in Northern Ireland, they have these row houses, and this, there's tons of stairs, John. It just goes on and on forever. I mean, you just think to yourself, I'll get in the front door, and if I ever get to the top, to the loft, I'll probably need a, you know, a rope to try and get up there. But you just windy little narrow stairs. And I'd get halfway up the stairs, and I'd be like, oh, I'm so unfit. I need to go work out more. I need to lose some weight. I'd be huffing and puffing halfway. <laughs> you know, I have something that's wrong with me. And it, about two weeks previous, I had a really nasty cold, but I had gone away. And so anyway, this went on. We get back to, to Canada, and I think, back to boot camp, back to workout. And I get halfway through boot camp, and I feel like literally somebody had put a lead weight around my chest. And I'm like, this is just ridiculous. I can't believe I'm just going to have to work harder and push myself a little bit more. And eventually, it got to the point where getting up the stairs, I would get to the top of the stairs, and this exhaustion would hit me. I thought, ding, I need to see my doctor. And I went to the doctor. And my doctor is a brilliant girl, and she just said, we're going to send you for some some tests to a cardiologist. Oh, don't be ridiculous. There's nothing wrong. I'm just really unfit, and I need to lose some weight. Stop eating Cadbury's cream eggs. And so... I went to the, do- the cardiologist, and I was so sure there was nothing wrong. Richard sat in the car. <laughs> he was in the car, and I went inside, and they put me on the thing, and I get on the treadmill, and I start jogging along there, and they've got all these electrodes on. And the nurse, about, I don't know, two minutes into the jog, she increased the levels and got a little faster, and she says, Mrs. Graham, how, how are you feeling? And I said, oh, I'm pretty good. No, no, how's your body feeling? And I go, well, I'm, I'm good. No, no. What's your body trying to tell you right now? What do you, it, it, from head to toe. And I said, well, I have a little bit of tres, chest pressure. And she hits the red button. Bang. And I'm like, oh, no. What are you doing? Like, keep it going. It's okay. And she says, my dear, what do you do when, when you feel that chest pressure? And I said, well, I just push through. And she says, oh, no, no. We don't do that. We don't push through. And she, she points at the screen. She said, look at your readout. And, you know, the readout was, was very bad. It was, like, peaking, and my heart was in a lot of stress. She says, we're going to call the cardiologist in now. And I'm like, this is a dream. I'm not here. This is, I've got things to do, people to see. <laughs> and so in comes Dr. Agawal, brilliant man. And I start to tell him his job, John. I start to tell him, well, actually, you know, it's just this and that. And the nurse says, Dr. Agawal, she was an Irish nurse, 
Why don't you just take the afternoon off, she says. Because Mrs. Graham's got it all figured out. Here you, here you went to college for all that work. You went to college to do all those degrees, and she's got it all figured out. <laughs> well, I shut up at that point, but we had a good laugh about it later. But he said, I have to tell you, Margaret, he said, we don't know what it is yet, but you have some sort of heart disease. Here's some nitro to spray under your tongue. I'm standing there like, huh? and a bunch of other pills and meds because, you know, we don't want you to have a heart attack. I'm like, what just happened? And what did he just say, heart attack? Anyway, I I left the office in a daze, Mark. I was walking out of there like, what just happened? I came down to the car and I opened the door and he goes, well, honey, how was it? Uh, Houston, we have a problem. And that was the start of a journey for me where God used a circumstance. He doesn't bring these things. Okay? God doesn't give us difficult seasons in life. Life is life. As I said to the girls, this is not heaven. Okay? This is life. This is earth. And we have to go through difficult things sometimes. But God is so faithful. He's such a good father that he will use these circumstances of life to help us. And I had to be put in my butt. I'm sorry. I'm just too strong-willed. And he put me on my butt. I literally could not go up the stairs. I was in bed. I was on medication. And the diagnosis was this. It's very unusual. Um, I contracted that cold, and it had attacked my heart muscle. And I developed a condition called pericarditis. And it's a, it can be very dangerous. It's an inflammation of the pericardium sac around the heart, and it puts a lot of pressure. So you have this constant chest pressure. Some people are in the hospital, you know, three times a month. But I, I mean, I personally never went to the hospital. I just took pills and, and, and sat and listened to God. And God got a hold of my heart, and he started to heal my inner life. And I started to come into balance with the understanding that I just, he just wanted me to be. He just wanted me to be. He did not want me to be on a treadmill. That was not a testimony to drive myself into the ground. So I, it was a season I had to write, and I had to spend a lot of time with the Lord. And he dealt with me. God's desire was that I de- develop a healthy soul, and he removed the stuff. And there's a story about an old gentleman in the hills of Switzerland. And the town hired him to keep their stream that supplied water to the town fresh and clear. And this went on for years, and the swans were playing in the, in the stream, and the kids would play, and the water was fresh and clear. And one day the town council decided, we need money for other stuff. Where can we find the money? So they decided they didn't need the stream keeper anymore, and so they fired him and promptly says, well, it'll just be fine. The mountain streams will keep clean themselves. And on it went. A few months went by, and the stream started to get a little clogged. And the, tr- the stream that was running so healthy was starting to get clogged with different things. And pretty soon it got stagnant. And pretty soon the swans didn't come anymore, and the children didn't play in the stream because of the smell and the, stagnant of, and the na- stagnation of the water. You are the stream. The stream is your soul, and you are its keeper. And that is what we have to do in life. Our souls get clogged. Our inner life gets clogged up. Stuff from our past. Things that happen to us. Things that happen as we journey on in life. And pretty soon we're just in autopilot. And we don't take time to look 
at that inner part of us and say, what is going on in me? Is there a health? Is, there, is my soul health good? And it wasn't for me. But it's so beautiful the way the Father gets a hold of our hearts and he changes and holds us because he's a good Father. We can take the time in those seasons if we take that break to identify what kind of things are stuck in our soul. It might be fear and anxiety. Maybe there's some addictions in your life. The season of sickness is very hard for me, you guys, because when your major muscle's under attack, it's fearful. I don't know if anybody else has experienced heart issues, but, you know, I'll get some palpitations, and I'll be just doing, just on stage singing, and I'll be maybe breathing deep to be able to get my notes and stuff, and all of a sudden, my heart will go from resting rate to 170 beats. And it's just, it's, it's frightening. Like, it just, you can feel it just pounding in your chest. That was some of the damage that was done for me. But I had to learn to live with confidence in God and not be fearful. And my life is in his hands, you guys. And I had to accept that he was caring for me and he was going to take care of me. But when my soul is at peace, I find that I take things less seriously. I respond to my family better. I respond to the church better. I respond to my leaders and my band. When you're in a band and you're traveling, man, that's, a, that's an interesting thing when you're traveling in a band and you're, you're writing songs together and you're doing all sorts of events together. You really become a family. And it, it could be a really difficult thing if it wasn't for the fact that we talk about, as a, as a team, we talk about soul care. We talk about looking after our inner life. You know, people come and go. And they still, we still build team and then all of a sudden something goes south. But it doesn't bother me as much as it used to. I just, I just bless people when, they, when they're leaving and I, I want them to be fulfilled. My only prayer for them is they continue to keep their inner life healthy. You know, Paul understood the struggle between the inner life. And I, I want to just quickly, how much time do I have, Mark? Because I do not want to go over. Perfect. Um, I want to just delve in a little little deeper to the whole battle that we go through. And there's no better scripture that kind of exemplifies that than Romans 7, 18, in the message especially. And if you've got your Bibles open up to that, Romans 7, 18. I realize that I don't have what it takes. (laughs) No kidding. I can will it. I can will it. But I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide to not do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions such as are don't result in action. Sometimes something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every single time. It happens so regularly that it is predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands. But it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. <laughs> I love that. It's pretty obvious. Part of me covertly rebels. And just when I least expect it, that rebellion takes charge. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions, where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I am pulled by the influence of sin 
to do something totally different. Isn't that the most masterful way to put it? Paul, in his authenticity, just calling out to us to help us understand the complexities of life. And I'm going to read this to you. Paul helps us understand how the law, while given to help people live better lives, had in fact just highlighted the power of sin or the cravings of our flesh. Flesh life, the outer life. To do what is really had been instructed not to do. The law has essentially become a catalyst to sin because it's of its forbiddenness. Here's how that works. Listen to this. I go on a diet that forbids chocolate. I'm at the grocery store picking up healthy food for my great diet. I see the candy aisle and I think, I can't have chocolate so I won't go down there. I then decide that I can resist. So I will just walk down the chocolate aisle to get to the back of the store. And as I walk down the chocolate aisle, I see some of my favorite chocolate cream eggs. So I think to myself, I can't, I can't eat chocolate while on this diet, but they're on sale. So I think, if I buy these now, that's good stewardship. <laughs> that's pretty smart. So I'm going to buy them on sale. So I buy these chocolate cream eggs. But we'll definitely not eat them. The next thing I know, I'm sitting in the car, stuffing my face with a delicious Cadbury cream egg, wondering to myself, how did that happen? (laughs) How did that happen? And that's what Paul is saying in this chapter. He's just trying to tell us, "This this is how it works. There's a battle constantly, and it goes on between the inner and the outer life. Let me give you a point. Number one, we have to realize that in our own strength, we're toast. <laughs> we're toast, man. I don't, I don't trust myself. And I, even when I say things, somebody asks me how I'm doing, oh, I'm doing really well. I don't trust myself in that way. I have to be able to go to God and let him examine my inner life, or I have to ask some really good friends who keep me accountable. How do you think I'm doing? And Anne always tells me the truth, don't you, Anne? <laughs> When I think of the blatant lack of strength that I have to resist, the desires of the flesh, I see an immediate need to cultivate and nurture a healthy inner life and where my soul is empowered on a daily basis by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's that call from the very beginning when I read in Acts. We need the Holy Spirit. They were Jesus' last words, John. I think they'd be pretty important if they were his last words before he went up into the clouds, that, we, that he was going to send the Holy Spirit and that we would be his witnesses. Why did he send the Holy Spirit? Because we desperately, desperately need the Holy Spirit to keep our inner life clear of those bricks and rocks and the stuff and the debris that just causes us to be clogged up. I think with this discourse, we see that Paul is not giving a green light to give in to the desires and cravings of the flesh. Of course he's not. But in fact, he's helping us to understand why there is such a battle. And then to equally understand the solution. All the New Testament church is constantly growing. Every day, And we see Paul giving some practical teachings to help believers embrace the fullness of Christ. And he did that wonderfully well. If you study the life of Paul, Why don't I personally have the strength to resist the cravings of the flesh? I don't, because I'm human. 
I'm not perfect. I'm flawed. I have broken areas. And I need the Holy Ghost to help me. Paul's inner life was in sync with the Holy Spirit. His soul was regenerated. And if our inner life and our outer life is is constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit, we live a, a more balanced life. We live a more peaceful life. And the gifts and the anointing are freeing slowly because the river is, is, is running free. Number two, we have to recognize something is wrong. Deep down inside, your inner life, it's trying to rule you. It just is. Just being human and flawed, the battles and the cravings that we have. When we think of addictions and destructive behavior, bad choices, flesh-driven habits, and the like, they're all a, a, a sort of a direct result of an inner life that's not healthy. And we need Jesus. And we need that soul care in our hearts. Number three, rejoice. Rejoice that there is a solution. There is a solution. The good news is we have the helper. We, he sent the helper to us because we need it. <laughs> we need the Holy Ghost. My life's journey has been quite a story, and I understand that deep need for soul care in my inner life. We need to get this right as a church, because we are the light. We are the good news. We are the gospel. Your neighbors need to hear your message. They need to hear your authentic heart. And every single story that you have, guys, is important. Every single life story that you have, everything that you've been through is gold to be used to draw people into the presence of God. I I love the, the quotes of Dallas Willard, and he says this, The most important thing in your life is not what you do. It's who you become. That's what you will take into eternity. That's what you'll take into eternity. Beautiful, eh? We will finish. I'll finish by just... I'm sharing this one last scripture, John 4:13 to 14. Jesus answered, "Everyone who drinks this water will be will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up, an eternal stream. And the story of the stream, the stream is your soul, and you are its keeper." Let's get better at keeping our inner life. Three quick things. Get in the Word. Get in the Word. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting through the (laughs) you-know-what to the marrow, to the very core of our being. And it is the best form of brain, the only legal form of brainwashing. It will wash you clean. The Word of God is so powerful. Spend time in your intimate life with God. There is no excuses for not being in his presence. We cannot do it without him. Take the time to spend time with Jesus. Get to know him personally. Get to know him intimately. And number three, worship is a lifestyle. Worship changes the atmosphere. You know, whenever I'm struggling or going through something, it's the first thing I do is put on music, and I just start to worship. And my spirit just lifts. I feel fear of, I feel overwhelming thoughts. I put on music and I can just feel as I worship. The atmosphere around me changes. It's a powerful weapon. And thanksgiving. You know, we are so blessed. We are so blessed. Sure, we, we have a lot of difficult things in our life, but we are so blessed. And if you, if you take the time 
I remember when I was going through a really, really difficult season in my life, and I was writing angry thoughts towards God in my journal. And I went out for a walk, and I heard the Lord whisper to me, he says, Maggie, can you find one thing to be thankful for? And I said, okay. I'm thankful for my my husband. He's so faithful, and he's so awesome, and you gave him to me, Lord. I'm so thankful. And pretty soon I just started to say another thing and another thing, and that heavy, it was a really discouraging season for us. But he, he lifted my spirit. And thanksgiving is a healthy soul. Mark, do you have anything you want to... Yeah, we can probably apply this in some way. Um, Margaret quoted um, Ortberg. Yes. And Ortberg's mentor was Dallas Willard, oh, who yes. she also quoted. And uh, when Ortberg was just starting out as a pastor, you know, the beginning of a church is nothing but work because you haven't found people to plug into things, and it's just you're doing everything, so it's crazy. So Ortberg came to Dallas Willard and said, um, you know, I, I'm starting this church, but I, I really I really want to have a, a good relationship with God, but I don't know how. Do you have any advice for me? And Willard said just one thing. I wonder if anyone in this room who hasn't heard this story can guess what the one word of advice was that Dallas Willard gave John Ortberg. He said, remove hurry from your life. Ruthlessly remove hurry. Remove hurry (laughs) from your life. And as you were talking, Margaret, I was going to ask you, what are the principal symptoms of... uh, discontinuity between the inner and outer life. But I, I answered my own question. It's a lack of peace. The, the principal right. evidence that you don't have that That's connectedness right, on the outside yeah. and the inside is you are not living in peace. You have a lack of peace. And ironically, when you slow down, when you were forced, when God forced mm-hmm. you to slow mm-hmm. down, yeah. and for some of us, when we're wise enough to see the symptoms of mental illness encroaching on us. I mean that seriously. In my case, that's what I saw. Um, I locked myself in a bathroom over Christmas. My, my whole, I will go out to see my family, my whole family, their brothers and sisters. And I locked myself in the bathroom for eight days reading The Dynamics of Spiritual Life, which is 1,200 pages, just anything to not face who I was. Mm. Because the lack of peace was so overwhelming. And here's this, the craziness about diagnosing the lack of peace. You realize you don't have peace, so you know you should slow down. The problem is, as soon as you slow down, the anxiety gets worse. Because you're overwhelmed by your lack of peace. And you see the way yeah, you know start to see. between mm-hmm. the inside and the outside. Mm-hmm. And you panic. And then the first thing you want to do is run back and work. Just get, you <laughs> know, get, get back on the treadmill. Yeah. At least I can understand that. So... How are you dealing with hurry? Do you, do you have peace in your life? Where you're, I mean, peace like where you sit still and, and you just slow down and you stop and you let pointless time pass where you're unproductive? Because that's when God meets you, is in your unproductive times when yeah. you're unable to bring a great present to say, look what I did for you, Lord. You don't have anything to show him. You're just there. That's when he shows up. True. And if you'll get through the... 
the anxiety yeah. of decompression, yeah. right? If you'll just get, come to terms with sitting still, then the peace will begin to come. And he'll begin speaking to yeah. you. And he'll speak to you intellectually through your mind. He'll speak to you emotionally. Yeah. Your emotions will begin to change. Your body, he'll, he'll touch you physically. And you'll begin to relax. Your shoulders will drop. And your breathing will even out. And you'll become aware of his presence. We fear stillness because stillness brings us face to face yeah. with all the problems. But if you'll wait and face the problems honestly, you will go through it. You'll pop out on the other side and you'll find him sitting there well, he's just been waiting for you. Isn't that just the coolest thing? So cool. So let's apply this. Uh, our culture is a culture of distraction, amusement. Everything is designed to keep us moving and busy and not still. So I can't imagine one person in this room that doesn't have a problem with slowing down. What's your problem? What's your problem with slowing down? Do you have a problem with slowing down? Does anybody in this room have a problem with slowing down other than me? Okay. Let's apply this. If you see that this word is true, and if your heart is stirred and you sense, yeah, this is me, I need help, why don't you come forward? The ministry team's going to pray for you, and we're going to pray for peace in your life, but also that the Lord will show you in the circumstances of your individual life how you can get rid of hurry and how you can begin to create space to be still. Okay. Sound good? Okay. So if that's you and you want help with that, we'll prophesy over you. Maybe the Lord will speak some clear directions or maybe we'll just pray for the Lord to do that directly. But one way or the other, we should be dealing with this in our life. So if you want prayer, why don't you come forward now and we'll pray for you. do that. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to worship with one more song that, that really captures this. So if the band would come up. And John, why don't you lead this and let's yeah. get the team up here and okay, so we pray have, for people. We'll take about five minutes, okay? But this is an impartation piece. This is what we're about to do in the next five minutes separates well, let me say this. It goes beyond information to impartation and transformation. This is a transformation center. Because God's here. So we don't want to just get information and go out the door. This is a transformation moment, and it doesn't take forever. I think it's very interesting that I spontaneously stood up at the beginning and talked about how Jesus came to separate religion from a relationship with the Father. A relationship with Dad, if it's healthy, is where your identity comes from. And it takes care of the hurry and the worry. Religion is the treadmill, trying to do more, try harder, right? So I've asked these guys if they would sing that song again, Abba. Abba is the word that Jesus used for God, which was Daddy, which is one of the reasons why they hated him so much that he would act as though he was that familiar with God. But Jesus told us that we are to call God Abba too. Is the Aramaic word for daddy. So the song, Abba, you're saying daddy. Maybe there's going to be a healing moment for you in the next five minutes. So I'm going to ask that we all stand.
And um, I'm going to ask that the band begin playing Abba. And, if, yeah, show. Yeah. And, and then we're going to have the prayer, the prayer teams. You'll come down front. And you can either just worship right there. The Holy Spirit can touch you right where you are. Or you're welcome to come down front and have one of the prayer teams pray with you. Remember the Father's here. It's not just a room with music. The Father's here. Prayer teams, you come on down front so when people come down, they can pray for You're more real Tom, again, would you like to come down to ground I'm standing on. Come on, let's worship our Father. He loves this. You're more
of worship. But um, don't forget, if you're going to get water baptized, if you've never been water baptized as an adult, after you gave your life to Christ, please email info at gatheringplacechurch.org so I can get that. And meet me here next Sunday at 9.30 so we can talk about water baptism. It's going to be a spiritual blessing for you. We'll baptize you next Sunday. Please go get your children. If you need prayer, come down. If you want to uh, continue to worship, you can continue to worship. God bless you.